1: welcome back in thank you for listening uh you ready are you ready jeff are you ready are you ready for our next guest
0: Daniel
1: he is the bob france bob welcome back to the bruce Hooley show how are you this thanksgiving eve sir
2: well, if that question is referring to the mountain of mashed potatoes and gravy that are going to be on my plate tomorrow, yes, I can dig that very much so. Yes, sir. Awesome. With a giant spoon, maybe even a shovel. Yeah. Uh, yes. Cannot wait for, for tomorrow. Uh, so, uh, and I'm well, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you, to, to you too, Jack.
1: Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to you. And uh, so you're a traditionalist, turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, uh, sweet potatoes, the whole nine yards?
2: You know the bizarre part about it? I don't even like turkey. I like turkey lunch meat, like on sandwiches. Yeah. When it comes to turkey, like, you know, for the Thanksgiving feast, growing up, and this is probably why, my whole family <clears throat> did not like turkey. My mother and father, we always had a great big ham that she would make and slow roast in the – uh And, uh, you know, not a slow cooker. It was a big, giant roaster, I guess. But we always had this huge ham, and she would baste it and have pineapple rings all over it that it would cook in. And we loved our ham. We had it for both Thanksgiving and Christmas. And as I've gotten older and gotten into my own family and my wife does the traditional turkey thing, I've just had to be like, meh. I mean, I'll eat it. It's all right, but it's not like something where I need days days worth of uh, leftover turkey stuff. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm I'm still more of a the traditionalist in me says make me a big old giant ham, and then I'm a happy guy.
1: I, I, you know, I I like ham too, but I am uh, I'm not as discriminate in my food choices as I am in my political choices. I eat a lot, of, <laughs> whatever's Good there. I eat. Well, I grew up you. a wrestler. I'm very much yeah. I, I grew up a wrestler, man. We did, th- this time of year was like oh. I get, Get a little bit of mashed potatoes, a little bit of stuffing. Anyway, hey, let's get into the meat of the conversation, pun intended. Uh, I like what you did there. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Where do you want to start? I kind of want to talk about Israel. I'm going to talk with Dr. Glenn uh, Dewar on Tuesday about the recent election in Argentina and then the hostage release in Gaza. Uh, But there's there's a ceasefire. Uh, How do you view all this, Bob?
2: Well, I think it's a disastrous deal, quite frankly, for Israel, only because it's going to lead to more Hamas attacks and more hostages being taken. Look, the reality is, first of all, it's not a ceasefire. They're calling it a pause, but it's four days long. Do you know how much relief that gives Hamas? to pick up the pieces and reform. They are on the run. They they found in the Al-Shifa hospital as you know, all of those munitions, all of that weaponry and so forth. It's a hospital that they hide all of their stuff in just like they do schools. That was exposed. Tunnels have been exposed. Other tunnels have been blown up on top and burying these 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 savages in tombs underneath, which is a which is a glorious thing. And all this does, and this is why they agreed to do this, is it gives them four days of relief where they can try to pick up the pieces and and, and, and you know make their next moves i don 't like that second thing is there 's two hundred and fifty hostages that were taken they 're giving fifty back. What about the other two hundred and they 're giving fifty back only for uh, six times the amount of of Palestinian Arabs who are being held in israeli jails and here 's the reality. I just talked to Claire Lopez today. I talked to um, I talked to uh, um, uh, Robert Spencer on the Sebastian Gorka show that I did. You guys said Curie Gorka on that answer. We yes, have it up here on our answer in Cleveland. Okay, yep. so I was hosting Doctor Gorka show uh, and talking to Robert Spencer. And um, the reality is, uh, when they when they talk about the uh, three hundred. Uh, uh, Palestinians that are being released from Israeli jails, it's not apples to apples. These are not hostages taken illegally in kidnappings. These are prisoners who were, who were uh, tried and convicted in Israel of crimes, including attempted murder, terrorism, building explosives, and so forth. And then they're saying they're women and children trying to, again, play the propaganda game and make it appear as though Israel is holding Palestinian women and children as hostages. Jack, the quote-unquote children are minors in name only. They're 16, 17, and 18 years old. And again, they were carrying out terror acts, building bombs, and so forth. Same thing with the quote-unquote women. Um, They've been jailed because they're criminals, not taken hostages in 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 a hostile you know, uh, atrocious act the way Hamas did to the Israelis. So the deal is 300 Palestinian prisoners get released from Israel Israeli jails where they were rightfully convicted in exchange for 50, uh, 250 hostages while they get four days to plan and regroup. How in the hell did Bibi Netanyahu ever agree to this? I don't
1: like it at all. I am... Really, I'm not stunned. I, I get. I still am stunned. I guess I'm naive. I think I'm admitting right now on air that I'm naive. I I, I open up Twitter today and I see uh, this tweet from this guy named Ben Norton. I think he writes for Salon, which the name of that should tell you everything. Uh, and he's he's kvetching about U- U.S. politicians being beyond parody and saying, you know, a U.S. senator um, claims that it's anti-Semitic for protesters to vandalize an Israeli weapons corporation that's profiting. From the mass murder of children in Gaza. Here's my problem with that statement. Ben Norton is doing exactly what Hamas terrorists do. He's using women and children as a shield for terrorist activity. And it seems to me members of the press, members of the Democratic Party are quite happy to go along with that. Bob, I'm old enough to remember a couple of years ago if you even compared government overreach during covid to Nazi Germany, you were the devil. You are an anti-Semite. But now we're ignoring what from the river to the sea means are like, are you surprised that we're upside this upside down on this? That's question number one. And then I have another one after that.
2: Well, sadly, no, because I know how anti-Semitic, first of all, not just in America, many on the American left are, which is very bizarre given the fact that American Jews overwhelmingly support Democrat politicians because of ancient biases that they just don't, they don't know how to let go of, sadly. And most of them are the secular Jews, by the way. But um, so no, no, I know how anti-Semitic many on the American left are. I am really disgusted by the fact that the United Nations is so extraordinarily anti-Israel and so pro-Hamas and pro-Palestinians uh, uh, in Gaza. And I wish they were absolutely defunded. We pay 75 percent of the bills for the United Nations and we host them in New York on our soil. I think they should be gone because the anti-Semitism around the world, the anti-Israeli sentiment is simply disgusting and repugnant. And I've known that for some time. So, no, it doesn't surprise me to answer your your question, Jack. It just disgusts me. That's all.
1: All right. So final question. We've got about a minute and a half. This is the taboo part that I'm going to hand off to you. I just talked to somebody who believes that we should worry about our own business, and that includes funding for Israel. As I see what's going on there and the fact that the United States is giving essentially in a backdoor way money to Iran. We're we're, we're supporting um, – uh, I just want blank – Russia. <laughs> and, and to, So we're, we're really on all sides of all wars. Do you think that this kind of stuff makes Americans pause and does it make you pause and go, I love Israel. They're our partners, but maybe we should – we, we should pump the brakes on funding.
2: No, we should not pump the brake on funding Israel. We should on Ukraine. We should not on Israel, because they're more than just our partners. They're the only functioning democracy in the whole of the Middle East. We learn so much of, about the plans of some of those Arab Muslim nations in the Middle East, of what they are doing, including Iran, uh, from our IDF uh, uh, supporters and, and friends in Israel and from Mossad. We have to support them, and not to mention, quite simply, if we do not support them, they will not have enough support to exist. And I am not a fan of genocide. What the Palestinian and and, uh, and the Iran proxies and Hezbollah and Hamas and Palestinian uh, uh, jihad, what they are doing is literally genocide. They want to drive the Jews into the Mediterranean Sea and take their land and call it Palestine. No, I do not think we should stand by and let that happen.
1: Thank you for answering that. Uh, Ten seconds. Browns or Broncos or you don't care?
2: I don't care. I I, I, I want to care. I really do. But I'm <laughs> seven and three, man. On this, Jack. That's yeah. all I can do. Seven and three is a great thing. It's wonderful. And if I was enjoying it, it, but I can't enjoy Woke NFL anymore, at least not right
1: now. 62% of the time in seasons past, I think there have been 13 seasons, they've been seven and three. They've gone to the playoffs and they just acquired Joe Flacco. So who knows? Hey, Bob, thanks for joining us today, man. Uh, you and your family you have it. a blessed Thanksgiving, okay?
2: Same to you and everyone in Columbus. Thanks, Jack.
1: Thank you. And thank you for listening. Um, hey, up next, uh, Jeff Murtall's going to weigh in, give, his, give us his brilliant analysis on the Buckeyes and Browns. And uh, we're going to say our farewells before Thanksgiving. Stay tuned. Rounding third and heading home before we go home and put on our turkey-eating pants, get ready to watch some football and imbibe some really good food. So uh, I do want to continue to give audience to the opposition to Rush Limbaugh's rendition of what the first Thanksgiving was. Now, he talks about how it was capitalism that saved the day when the Pilgrims threw off collectivism, and that Bradford, the governor, gave each family a plot of land to use as they saw fit. And it was then that the individual's ability to provide for himself allowed that colony to prosper. Now, people who are debunking it and calling that a myth They say the system of collective ownership of property was indeed abandoned, but not until 1623. And remember, the first Thanksgiving was in 1621. That was the first year of the what I'll call the bumper crop, the abundant supply of food, because the pilgrims had learned how to farm. And certainly they learned how to catch cod. Thank you to the Native Americans. Right. Uh, But they're saying that. The system of collective ownership of property was indeed abandoned, but not until 1623, two years after the first Thanksgiving. In Limbaugh's description, then Thanksgiving, the first American holiday was actually created by socialists. And there it is. The abundance was created by socialists. So, I mean, what kind of reasoning is that? Is that abductive, inductive, uh, deductive? I I don't know. But it's, to me, false reasoning because what about the other conclusion? Well, the conclusion is the Pilgrims threw off collectivism because they didn't like it, because it wasn't working for them. And the argument is, well, it created abundance. Okay. But how do you know that a free people operating under some form of capitalism – it wasn't called that then – wouldn't have produced more abundance. How do you know that? And the answer is you don't. But what you can deduce is that when you look at economies that are collective and planned, they have not throughout history worked. And we do owe a debt of gratitude to the Native Americans. And we do have a stained past about how we treated Native Americans and blacks. But I'm going to remind you that every culture has more than a coffee stain. Blacks own black slaves, Native Americans own Native American slaves, go to the Middle East, the Egyptians, the Israelis. Slavery still exists, I'm told, in India and in China today. But we're not at up in arms about that. We're not calling those places evil empires. In fact, if you call China an evil empire, then you are a bigot and you are a racist. What is my point? My point is this. The debate about Thanksgiving – and this is my opinion and then we're going to go into predictions. (laughs) The debate about Thanksgiving is had by a small minority of Americans, the leftists, the Marxists, the progressives who have been long swallowing the blue poison pill of progressivism. They are few, but they are loud, and their influence is amplified by a sympathetic press and several in our federal government. But there's no debate among the vast majority. America has lived and breathed a more perfect union. That was our commitment. That was in our founding document since our inception in our darkest times that we eventually figured out through our brightest moments. We have lived a more perfect union. There is a reason millions from other countries flood our borders. There is a reason other world powers chip away at our exceptionalism. It's because we are exceptional. And we stand in the way of those who want a world run by a few who aren't well intended, but who seek nefariousness for their own power and privilege, often doing it under the cloak of collectivism and communism. Our form of democracy, a constitutional representative republic, is the worst form of government except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. And we are exceptional because God the Creator endowed our founders, and we have, as a country, accepted his grace and favor in those foundations and learn from the moments we fell short, compelling ourselves with God's grace and wisdom to become better. America is still a city on a hill. Thanksgiving is the time to celebrate that, but more the bountiful favor of our God who has blessed us so incredibly richly, so much so that the entire planet has ble- been blessed by America's exceptionalism as an expression of God's go- goodness. And for that, I am thankful. Jeff Murtal, The Buckeyes go to that stinky place up north. How do you see Saturday shaking out?
3: Oh, man, it's uh, it should be a really good game. I've been looking at a lot of stuff, and, man, that, the two teams are really similar. they very similar statistically, points per game, yards per game. Um the defenses are both very good, kind of in different ways. Ohio State just stifling. Michigan gives up a lot of yards, but they force a lot of turnovers. Uh, I think two of the keys are going to be if Ohio State can can hold on to the ball and not turn the ball over, that's, that's going to be one. Because <laughs> right now, Ohio State's turnover margin is plus one for the whole season. They have forced one more turnover than they've allowed and Michigan is plus 12. So that's going to be a big key and then the other thing to look at is is third and fourth down efficiency. Ohio State is 46% on third down, 52% on fourth down. Michigan is 53% on third down, 73% on fourth down. So those those are going to be key key points and then the kicking game is you know, if we're looking at a tight game the kickers I don't know, not a lot of experience. Their guy is 9 of 11, uh, both misses from 40-plus. He's 1 of 2 from 50. Ohio State's guy, uh, he's missed 2. He's uh, 11 of 13, but he has not attempted one from 50. 50. and Both his misses are from 40-plus. So It should be a tight game. If if Ohio State can can hold on to the ball, not turn it over, I think they've got a really, really good shot to win the game. Give me a score. Well, like again if if they're not turning the ball over, I think Ohio State wins pretty handily honestly. I think they could win maybe 34-20, but if they're turning that ball over, it's going to get a lot more dicey.
1: We got a minute here. I'm going 37-17 Buckeyes, you're going 34-20. Browns Broncos 30 seconds.
3: Yeah, it's going to be a lot like last week. You know, two good defenses, tough place to play. Coming off the big win, you know, holiday, it's probably going to be another low scoring grinder. I, th- I think I like Denver seventeen thirteen.
1: I've got the Broncos twenty four fourteen. Jeff Murtaugh, have a happy Thanksgiving, brother. It's and you uh, too. thank you, thank you. Go Bucks. Go Browns. Go God. And uh, go have some turkey, watch some football, spend some time with your family, hug your kids, and uh, get back here Monday at 11. God bless you.